2: Hello, and welcome to The News Meeting. This is the podcast that brings you into the newsroom to hear the arguments that happen in meetings just like this every day. The meeting to choose the news, to decide what leads, what follows. My name's James Harling, I'm the editor of Tortoise, and three journalists are gonna pitch the story that they think mattered most this week. And together, we're gonna try and make sense of them, try and understand what they mean, Perhaps even where they lead. And then at the end, it's my job to make a decision about what leads the news. So from Tortoise, welcome to the news. This week, we're back in front of a live audience here at the Picturehouse Central in London. And I'm joined by Tortoise editor Liz Mosley. Liz writes about who and what is making culture in our weekend sense maker. Hello,
0: James. Hello,
2: Liz. Very good to have you. Alexi Mostris is here. He's the head of investigations. He brought us the Sweet Bobby podcast, Hoax. Alexei, very good to see you. Thanks hello, for doing this. hello. Uh, and Katie Gunning, for the first time, is joining us at the news meeting. She's the producer who brought us London grad. It would be immodest of me to mention that it's just been nominated for an Orwell Prize for journalism, but there Ooh. you are, I did. Katie, welcome. <laughs> Before we get started, let's just remind ourselves of some of the stories that will be moving this week.
1: It's now heading toward an unprecedented presidential runoff after longtime President Erdogan failed to clear the
0: 50% threshold he needs.
2: President Zelensky of Ukraine has arrived in the UK for a surprise visit. He's currently at Chequers meeting the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Of course, we'll, we'll discuss very important issues, urgent uh, support for Ukraine. Order, order. That is totally not acceptable, no. Who do you think you're speaking to, Secretary of State, I don't want? I think we need to understand each other. We have a winner, Sweden! Wise I suspect that everyone is going to choose Eurovision as their story of the week. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's see, if we, see what we've got. Um, let's start with long story short, in a single sentence, or even a smattering of words. What's the story, Liz? You go first.
0: Uh, welcome to Gilead, the Sunshine State.
2: Oh, I think <laughs> I know where that's going. Alexi. Uh, et La La Land. <laughs> Suet La La Land. Very nice. And Katie?
1: Four vital months. Oh,
2: okay, that's intriguing. For sort of everything, it feels like. <laughs> Climate, AI, the war. Um, Liz, why don't you go first?
0: Uh, yeah, my story um, is about Ron DeSantis, Governor of uh, Florida, who signed um, Bill SB 1580 um, this week, which comes into law on July the 1st. And what it is is an act relating to what is called the protections of medical conscience in the state of Florida. And what it amounts to is to make it entirely legal for healthcare practitioners and healthcare insurance companies to opt out of participation in or payment for treatment to those patients that they find to be inconsistent with their moral, ethical or religious convictions.
2: So that means the individual healthcare practitioner, a nurse or a doctor can say for reasons. And the insurance reasons,
0: provider and the hospital as an entity, it covers everything.
2: So this is an extension of the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade judgment?
0: It very much is. And as people will probably know, um, there are states across America have been passing bills specifically designed. In fact, Texas, I think, did one yesterday, specifically designed to um, uh, prevent uh, the provision of treatment to trans-identified children. That's happening across, I think, 15 states now across America. This bill is slightly different because it does do that. But in its wording, which has been called by uh, the American Civil Liberties Union, it is shocking in its breadth, vagueness and government overreach. It also allows for a lot of other things. Um, for example, um, denying fertility treatment for same-sex couples, for example. Uh, not giving birth control to somebody who might want it, for example. Perhaps you might not give a vaccine to somebody who might want it. It really is a sort of open season on, if you don't really like it, you don't have to do it as a medical practitioner.
2: Can I just start with the boring practical end of the story Please do. First. <laughs> so, as you say, there have been these cases this week. This one in Florida... Texas banning provision of medical treatment to mm-hmm. trans children. Mm-hmm. I saw that Montana has banned the TikTok. use of TikTok. Yeah. Practically speaking, what happens in these cases? Do people just move to other states to get the medical treatment or use the services they provide? Or is this one of those things that's a piece of political signaling that doesn't necessarily happen even in the state where it's where the legislation or the political act has taken place. Well,
0: it becomes law on the first of July in Florida, so it's a very real and near-term situation that next month people will be encountering on a day-to-day basis. Um, there will be a process because there always is of people opposing it and trying to. that There has already been people trying to make amendments to it. They were successful in getting an amendment through that said that in a case of emergency care, this doesn't apply. Um, but uh, it's a very real and, and present
2: And, and danger. do thing is that what we're seeing is, if you like, the rhetorical polarisation of the United States, which happened over the last decade, is now being replaced with or being met with a real polarisation, i.e. they're red states and blue states and the kind of medical treatment, the education you get, all the social services that you get are fundamentally and culturally different state by state. Do you think that's where we're headed?
0: I don't know that it's necessarily as simple as saying state by state they're different. I think within states they're different. It just depends on who the governor is mm. and his or her appetite to put into law the things that they want to run a moral crusade on. Katie, what do you think of the story?
1: I think it's really interesting on... I, I think it's interesting that it hasn't had that much coverage. Yes. um, It's it's odd. Which does seem odd. um, And particularly over here, we really haven't read that much about it. And I think that element of vagueness that Liz talks about is really interesting because although it just feels very pernicious that anything can move into that space... um, but on the other, it's that Vegas that also makes you realise that perhaps why it hasn't run so much and why it makes it harder to push to the top of bulletins because it's, it remains a bit amorphous. But I think it's... Really, really uh, Alexei,
2: what do you think? Do you, do you remember a few months ago, Ron DeSantis picked a fight with Disney <coughs> and you yeah. felt that Disney felt it fell into his trap. It was a political move, this, and it galvanised his base. How much journalistically would we be falling into a Ron DeSantis trap, which is let's have a conversation about social issues, cultural issues, even though the impacts of it might be fuzzy.
3: I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is a is, is a kind of clear and present danger. I, I do think the starting point has to be that any any bill, especially one that comes into law that that limits uh, medical treatment for uh, gay people, is pretty serious. Like that's the that's that's the start. But but. But you can see that similar laws, maybe not quite the same laws, were brought in by Trump when he was uh, when he was president. They were knocked down, I think, by the federal court system. Um, so I- I'd be very interested to see how
2: what happens to this law going forward. Uh, and Liz, what do you think about the sort of news matters closest to where you are? Issue of this, which is okay. This is this is not a good thing, but it's not a good thing that's. Far away. Not happening
0: here in London. Yeah. I I, I was mindful when I chose to come and talk about this story (laughs) of exactly that. Um, And it's happening far away Um, is one argument. The other thing that's happened this week that gave me a sense of... uh, The reason I called the story Welcome to Gilead is because when I read this piece, I had for the first time in a long time that cold spike of real dread Mm. that I got when I read The Handmaid's Tale for the first time. It really, really affected me. And, um, you know, Rhonda Santis gave a talk at a NatCon conference, not the one that's just been in London, but the previous one, called Florida is a Model for America. And... He's very possibly the next president. He's very possibly the next leader of the free world, and and these are the fronts that he is choosing to win that battle. And if he can win America, we are we are really really. Um, doing ourselves and the world a disservice if we allow ourselves to fall into, and I talk against myself here, one of the most unattractive traits of centrist and left-leaning journalism is that coverage of these things tends to be snide. You just go, well, DeSantis is a nut job, it could never happen here. (laughs) (laughs) It absolutely could happen here. And people were standing on a platform in central London yesterday making speeches that are not far off this. And so for that reason, I think we treat it with deadly seriousness.
2: And do you understand why we're seeing so much of this uh, what, what I mean by that is how issues that, for a long ago, seem settled—right, e- equal rights for people when they come to get different kinds of public services, whether in a private provider or public provider—that now seem to be reopened. Do you understand what's driving that?
0: I think they seemed settled to us. <laughs> I don't think they were ever settled to millions and millions and millions of people, and that, thats what makes it frightening.
2: All right, Katie, but before we come to, to your story, just in principle, is this the kind of story, Katie, you think does lead the news? Um, new piece of legislation in US state by potential uh, Republican nominee for the presidency. Is this a story that, in your mind, is the story that you splash on a newspaper, lead a bulletin with, that should lead the news?
1: I think sometimes it I think sometimes it could be there on the basis as you said story far away you know is it not necessarily on our radar, but sometimes it's because we miss those that we miss the important things and it's the beginning of something that yeah. crucial moment um, when the ball starts rolling so if you if you had if you had that moment and you could have an angle on that that made it feel fresh and you put it on the front page on the basis of that um, I think it's tricky with this one because it's there's a whole bunch of um legislation going through at the moment there's more some of the other ones are more definitive the stuff to do with trans healthcare and so on so it's you can see why they've often run higher yeah. and this is it has a vagueness to it that makes it harder alexi
3: i think that there might be a way of of, of splashing a u.s paper on it if you did some if you did some other work around it uh, i'm not sure about
2: splashing a british paper on it um katie why don't you go, go next what's your story
1: um, so at the beginning, at the weekend, we saw President Zelensky do a surprise whirlwind European tour. He started in Italy on Saturday, um, Germany, France, and then uh, Monday saw him landing in a military helicopter on the verdant lawns of Chequers to go and meet Rishi Sunak. He was, um, he was arriving to talk about military hardware um, and... And had some success. It prompted Britain to offer more missiles, long-range uh, drones, to offer to help train the F-16 pilots for a, a future... Um, uh, if we don't have F-16s in the UK, but other countries. Um, so And that's all important. But the reason why I think that that story of him touring European leaders should lead the news is to do with how the stakes are really high right now and why the timing of the next four months really matters. And it's not just because of the much talked of spring offensive and the weather. Um, it's obviously warm and dry, and, and it's a moment in time where they might be able to make gains on the ground in Ukraine. But it's actually to do with a bunch of other things that matter at the moment. And and it's to do with... Um, it's, it's the kit and it's the weather, but it's also... At the moment, it's like we a faltering U.S. support is a yeah. growing part of this problem. That in the next four months, it's like a window of opportunity to show what can be achieved mm-hmm. in Ukraine. So the Ukrainians need to show the West what they can do, that giving them all this kit was worth it. The West need to persuade the global South, who are far com- com- from convinced that this conflict has anything to do with them, Um, And in the U.S., it feels like the time is ticking away as they get closer to their election. We know that Donald Trump um, says he could end the war in 24 hours, which, of course, is not going to be a good thing for Ukraine. But even um, from Biden's side of things, as we get more into the autumn... The chance for the US to be as committed to this conflict as they have been is... is
2: So so I have to confess, I was really frustrated by the coverage this week. I really was in that it felt to me as though there were three huge stories that were bubbling around behind the pictures of Zelensky, you know, hugging and clutching different European leaders, you know, Pope included. No clutching, but you get the point. But uh, one was the Jets, F-16s, this... Division between the U.S. and Europe. Another was South Africa. A general showing up in yeah. Moscow. Cyril Ramposa not seeming to know what's going uh, uh, going on. And then this Chinese effort. Li Hui, this Chinese diplomat, saying that he's going to come in. And it felt as though as Zelensky did the tour, the pictures trump the story. We didn't actually get a sense of any of those three really big issues. Divisions within the West, divisions between North and South, divisions between East and West on Ukraine. And I just wonder, when you get a story like that, where if you, like the pictures the events are at odds with the underlying currents how do you how do you handle that how do you get that to the top of running order
1: i think there's i think there is a problem where everyone gets quite um carried away with um images but also talk about kit but you know there's the, the storm shadow missile we, we read a lot about yeah. kit yes. and i think journal journalists like writing about that stuff you've got the pictures you can draw the diagrams it's a certain it's kind, of, kind of journalist it's, yeah it's a kind of they look
2: and sound quite a lot like me <laughs> at a certain age.
1: it's beguiling um and we see a lot of that stuff and it's harder to cut through with that with the background but I think the that image of a sort of shift that it felt like it was the European um, leaders needing to sort of show that they were trying to take ownership of this problem because they could have to act independently without, um, uh, without the US and a, and a realisation that they're trying to get Ukraine into there's uh, oh, hanging over this is the spectre of negotiations even if if the offensive goes really well that's one thing even if it goes badly there's a um well either way there's a chance that negotiations are coming and what happens in the next four months is trying to put ukraine in a position where they're in the best possible place yeah. for those well, which is another whole
2: whole thread to this
1: and and and, all, and the western liberal alliance needs what needs that success to be able to persuade all the other people that if this was worth it
2: liz how's your ukraine fatigue
1: it's pretty bad is it (laughs) yeah i had a conversation with nina yesterday
0: nina is a very brilliant and talented ukrainian journalist works with us at tortoise about exactly that um because katie's right and you've characterized the story very well it's the four-month thing is helpful because it gives a sense of a time frame and one of the challenges with reporting on the war is you know is it ever going to end um and i i think trying to frame a story like this in a in a way that cuts through the reason why everyone ran the pictures of Zelensky is because he's a hero Mm -hmm. so he's kind of coming off the back of a Eurovision bump doing his tour everybody you know we're here for that but I think that is the level that people can can take of war coverage so finding angles like the one you've described Katie to say we've got four months and it's all about US involvement and this is the sequence of things that happen I think is helpful
2: Alexia when do you choose to lead on Ukraine
3: i think i think now i mean i think it's a really good it's a really good moment Uh, i i think i think the 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 pictures of zelensky uh, exactly as liz said really powerful in themselves it's extraordinary to think that in 2019 he was a comedian on tv playing a ukrainian president and and now he's doing a world tour where he's getting literally billions of pounds from from european governments that there's something kind of really powerful about just that tra- that that transition, and and I, I I do think it's a really really interesting moment where we're, when we're entering into like a new stage of this whole conflict, and and the the, the geopolitical chess pieces
2: seem to be shifting. Uh, that's interesting. So I just want to ask you about that. What do you think about entrenched biases in our own news media? I'm not mean meaning, meaning left right biases. I'm meaning sort of west versus the rest or west versus east. So I don't feel as though I really understand what China thinks it's doing mm-hmm. in offering to mediate between Moscow and Kyiv. And I don't know whether or not we're getting a fair representation of what that offer is. Now, when I speak to other people, they say that's just because mm-hmm. you're sort of naive and gullible and want to believe something good's going to come of it and nothing will. But what do you feel about the, the China end of this story and how it's getting presented? I,
3: I mean, I, I, th- I think that so, for, for, for so long, this has just been viewed through, through, through the lens of Western support for Ukraine. And mm. I think that is now shifting and that, that shift needs to be explained. Mm. I mean, I think in Britain we have, we, there, there was a map I saw the other day of like countries that supported Ukraine versus countries that were more ambivalent. And it was so stark, the sort of the blue versus the, the, the reds. And it made you realise just how much of the world didn't, didn't fall in to the easy will-support mm. Ukraine at
2: all costs camp. Mm. All right, well, Liz, before we get to Alexei's story, just in principle, this sort of naturally leads or you think it can only lead when something really significant milestone moment happens?
0: I don't know what Alexi's going to pitch yet, but yes, to my mind, it probably does lead.
1: I'm Helena Bonham-Carter and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes
3: Do you sort of feel that's a kind of natural lead? Uh, no, absolutely
2: not. I mean, most, <laughs> okay, all right. Well, right. Let, you've neatly rubbed the pitch for yours. I've put on Suela La La La.
3: Suela La La La. Okay, um, let's go. It's uh, the Tories' upcoming uh, immigration nightmare. So uh, as a kind of segue from what Liz was talking about, it, 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 the the National Conservative uh, Conservatism Conference that Ron DeSantis spoke at, uh, at in the US, Suela Braverman... Uh, Labour's home, uh, sorry, the Conservative Home Secretary spoke um, this week. Uh, she gave a speech to the National Conservatives' conference in Westminster, and the speech was all about how we need to uh, reduce immigration before the next election. Now, this conference in itself was quite interesting because it was a kind of weird combination of people really on the radical right. Some people would call them nutcases. Mm. Uh, and people who are much more mainstream. So you've got people like Douglas Murray meeting and talking with people like Michael Gove. But the headline act was Suella, who came along and gave, us, gave, gave this very anti-immigration, anti-woke speech. And the reason I think it's quite significant was because it leads into the publication of the ONS figures on migration, which come out next week, and which will probably show that net migration has almost doubled from its pre so the, the 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 migration figures to June this year i think sit currently at about 500,000 the figures that are going to be released next week are going to show that that's increased from anywhere from sort of 600,000 all the way up to a million it could even hit a million and if you're the Tory party and your manifesto said that you were going to reduce overall migration numbers then that is a big problem and it, is it a big problem I've been trying to look into the polling is it a
2: big problem with the public
3: well it that's a really interesting question so I think that the polling that I've seen suggested that migration immigration was 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 a, a kind of key issue post immediately post Brexit and has since sort of fallen have fallen down the list of um, things that people people care about. But at least in the Tory mind, it is tied into almost every issue that it, it is, is going up the political agenda as well. So Gove, for instance, has linked the housing pressure on the rising uh, immigration numbers as well. So cer- certainly from a kind of Tory perspective, there is there is a sense that
2: lots and lots of policies are linked into this issue of migration. So, so, so the story is the politics of immigration, or the return of the politics of immigration. Can, can we just do, do it in two parts, Lexi? One is, can we just talk about the politics of it? Sure. So I think there's been a lot of coverage of this NatCon conference, which is quite frustrating, which tells you how wrong they are before it tells you what they actually say. And... One of the things that intrigues me about what they say and what the organization behind it, the Edward Burke Foundation, um, thinks or argues for is I think its chair or president, I don't know exactly the role it plays, wrote a book called The Virtue of Nationalism. And it's, it's, it's remaking the case for nationalised nationalism mm. as a galvanizing force for uh, driving a country and its economy and society forward. And... You know, there's a lot about that that personally doesn't appeal to me, but it obviously appeals to quite a lot of people, and it's quite a powerful political force. So I wonder what you think that means for British politics, and in particular for Conservative Party politics, if that idea really grips not a small minority, but a significant part of the party.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's right to treat this in two parts, because in and of itself, the, the, the National Conservatism Conference and what was discussed there is pretty is pretty important. I mean, I think that if quite a lot of the people that were saying some of the more radical stuff were were, were, were saying this two years ago, they might not have been joined by people like, like Michael Gove and Suela Braverman. And the reason why it was kind of really significant was because it shows how much these ideas have been enveloped into the into the mainstream and i think that that is a significant shift and what we're seeing i think is that, that there's a sort of tying together of you know woke bashing transgender bashing and immigration which is a much more kind of complex issue and it's all being kind of
2: rolled into one do kate what, what do you think of this just on the politics side of it um, i don't know whether or not this is a significant moment, a signal, or just so deep, deep in Westminster, inside SW1, that we don't need to waste any of our time talking about it.
1: I think it's the uh, as, uh, the, the the pressures on the politicians, the the push and the pull factors, because and and it's. When we think about migration, we often think about the decision of the person who, who's coming to this country. They have push factors and they have pull factors for why they want to come. But this story shows that the, 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 the politicians themselves are, have the same forces acting on them. They've got they've got um, they've got those factors of the of they believe that they've got the polling and the support of what they who might like that nationalistic take that you just explained. Um, and then we've got. Then they're also they've got all the business people and the universities saying, Hold on, hold on, we need we need these people Liz. I don't know what a
0: Conservative is
1: anymore. <laughs> I can't yeah. tell. I've got absolutely no idea. I don't
0: know I think this I'm not sure which should it does either but yeah. I, don't, I don't they stand for individual liberty or is it family values are we like as you say nationalists we like the military we like old school manufacturing or are we all about you know life sciences and we're going to you know build big roads and stuff I just I just can't figure it out and, and there's the spectre of Farage always forever present and then obviously there's the Lib Dems who sort of just had a real hoolie in the local elections, <laughs> and Keir Starmer who never like looks Dem very excited. Exactly, think, yes. never, <laughs> Keir Starmer never looks very excited, but as excited as he ever looks, occupying the centre and, and left ground. I just don't know where the Tory party is. But, I don't but, know but, what it does. But,
2: but, but do you think that's true for all parties right now? So if you ask yourself the Labour question, would you would you answer the same?
0: Yeah, fair. I, I, I I'm not. I couldn't say he did a a, a speech didn't he about Starmerism did he talk to a newspaper and said this is what Starmerism is I couldn't make head or tail of it
2: (laughs) right. well listen why why don't we try and just then go through all of the three stories Um, uh, Katie just so you know the the rules of it I'm sure you'll be told are that you you can choose a story to lead the news but not your own it says something about what we suspect of the values and and nature of journalists that that's the rule but that's what it is so why don't you go first what story would you choose to lead the news
1: I think I would go with Liz's story um, about Florida and DeSantis. Partly because stories, the immigration story, I think, I find, I find maybe it's a reason that should be leading, I find it super confusing and I don't really understand where, um, what to make of what we're hearing on migration at the moment. And also I feel like we're going to get these figures next week and so that's a reason to leave that until next week. And so I would go for Florida and but on the, on the reasons that I think it is, you asked before whether or not you put it on the, the front page, and you think about some of the things that that are go on the front page um, that are drawn out of, and it may be um, a story that might be have come out somewhere of the culture war, and it, and it leads on a relatively... Um, the Daily Mail have picked up on something that they think is sensational, and they put it on there. And actually, this is like a the counter to that. This is a story... Which is potentially incredibly worrying, and we and this is the first sign of it, and we should amplify it for that reason.
3: Alexei, uh, I would I would lead with uh, Zelensky. I think it's a, a real moment, uh, I, and I think that uh, the next chapter on Ukraine is 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 really
2: really interesting. And, and you would and just which element of the story would you lead on, or on the tour? I I, I think I think sort of a I, hero tours Europe. I I think
3: I probably probably lead on. Um, that this was the, the, the last real chance for Zelensky to, to win before he's going to be forced or uh, before a lot of pressure is going to be applied to him to do some sort of deal.
2: Liz, what would you do?
0: Uh, four months to save the world. Would you? Yeah.
2: And then in the cycle of news leads, you would think, well, Ukraine has had its moment in the sun. It probably can't lead every week for the next few weeks. This is the moment. Yeah. It, Th- this is the moment, four months to save the world. Yeah. All right. Well, in which case, let's do what we do in the news meeting. We'll everyone gives their view, and then I'll have a go, uh, if you don't mind. It's actually very, very difficult, because all stories that we've got this week are steps along the way. There's not a decisive moment in any of these stories. Um, but for what it's worth, here's how I would run it. I would actually run uh, uh, Sweller Brovman and Immigration as the third story, partly, Alexei, because I think that people are slightly fed up with political process stories but partly because it's a scene setter as Katie Mm. says for the immigration numbers when they're there I think it absolutely makes the news because it tells you something about the way the political culture is moving and it gives you a signal of what's to come but of itself nothing actually happened politician gave speech in Westminster so the second story then is really a hard one to judge because you've obviously got something of really historic significance, the future of Ukraine and Europe, or you've got a signal of where politics as it relates to real people's lives is moving. I think I would do this. I think I would lead on Florida for reasons I'll explain in a moment and run, if you like, a chunky second on Zelensky. But the reason I'd run it as a chunky second is the story to me is not the all. The story is not what's happening in front of the cameras, but when the doors are closed, the discussions around the China mediation effort, the North versus South, exemplified by South Africa problem, and above all planes, do they or don't they get the weaponry they need? And that feels like a second that's discursive rather than straight news. The reason I would, and I think Liz is right, to say, look, we need to look at Florida, it's partly because US states are... Are acting on cultural issues that have been points of argument and now turning them into legislation. So I think Florida and Texas, to a certain extent, Montana fits into the same uh, bracket. I think that US presidential politics always spills into our politics, sometimes after the president's been elected, but in this electoral cycle it'll happen this year. But I think that the weaponization of Rights, human rights, gender rights, um, uh, uh, women's rights, is something we just didn't see coming at the beginning of the 2020s. We started with a much more optimistic view of the decade ahead. And this is a moment to see the way in which that argument is changing people's life, in fact. And I think for that reason, I'd lead on Florida. So that's the running order for this week, at least as I see it. Florida, Ukraine, Suella Braverman and Westminster. With that, thank you... Liz, Thank you. Alexi, Katie Thank you. for joining us Thank Thanks you. so much Thank you for listening Thank you everyone here uh, at the Picturehouse Central for joining us Next week I'm going to be joined by three more journalists who are also going to be trying to convince me that they have the story that mattered the most Please join us for the news meeting This episode was produced by Rebecca Moore The executive producer is Lewis Vickers Thank you